This is the Trails Church Podcast. At the Trails Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples through the gospel in community and on mission. If you'd like more information about our church, visit our website, thetrails.org. Now here's today's podcast. Open your Bible with me to Psalm chapter 51. Each Lord's Day, we gather to worship God. We hear a call to worship from Scripture where we're welcome to come and behold with fresh eyes His glory once again. We sing songs of adoration and praise, hymns of His salvation and grace. We call upon the Lord together in prayer. We hear Holy Scripture read and preached and the glories of the gospel proclaimed. We give to the Lord tithes and offerings from all that he has given to us. We share together in the Lord's Supper and in the celebration of baptisms. We receive the benediction, God's blessing that sends us back into the world as we conclude our time together. Most of those practices are quite familiar among all the streams of Protestant Christianity. Yet there's one aspect of our liturgy that has fallen out of common practice in our day, a time of confession of sin. We find people confessing sin across the pages of Scripture. When Israel first broke their covenant with God, they confessed their sin in Exodus 34 that they might restore relationship with him. In Nehemiah chapter 9, after Ezra has publicly read the scripture and given all the nation a sense of its meaning, he leads them to a time of fasting and repentance and confession. In James 5.16, we are taught to confess our sins to one another. 1 John 1.9 promises, if we confess our sin, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sin, and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray in Matthew chapter 6, he included the words, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. So as Christians today, we are continuing the biblical practice of confession of sin as a part of our worship. The act of confessing sin, I often describe it like this. It's simply coming clean before God. What is confession of sin? It's coming clean before God. We admit that we're sinners in need of a Savior. And for some, for those who have never experienced the forgiveness and saving grace of Jesus, that moment in our service could be when they first come face to face with the holiness of God and turn from their sin to Christ with repentant faith. But for we who are born again believers in Jesus, it's important for us to understand in this moment each week, we don't confess our sin to earn forgiveness. We confess our sin to experience forgiveness. One of the most frequent accusations of the church by outsiders is that it's full of what? Hypocrites. You ever heard that before? 
Probably not, but... <laughs> One of the reasons I think that might be true is that some churches today lack the honesty to ever even mention the reality of sin, much less create a moment when they're gathered together of the entire church bowed before the holiness of God, admitting we are sinners in need of a Savior, each one of us on level ground. Psalm 51 teaches us to confess our sin to God and even lends us the language of what to pray. There's a scholar named Hughes Oliphant Old that I had the privilege of studying under many years ago now. He looked like Gandalf in the flesh. That's true. And this is what he says of why this is so important for us as worshipers of Jesus. He wrote, The Psalms make it clear that worship must include recognition of our sin. This is difficult for our age, but without it, our worship lacks integrity. It's a matter of honesty. And an important theological truth, humankind is a fallen race and in need of redemption. As much as secular humanists would like to sweep our sin under the rug, the cries of our fallenness are heard all around us. I pray that the worship of the Trails Church would be marked with integrity and honesty before the Lord. That we would refuse to just sweep our sin under the rug, as it were, or try to hide it behind a Collin County mask of self-reliance. Instead, that we, week by week, would gather to behold the holiness of God, admit our need for his grace, and praise Christ for the mercy that we've been given through his work. That we would never pretend that one of us has outgrown our need for the grace of Jesus, beginning with the guy in the pulpit. And so I'm going to ask you the same question I've asked myself this week. Is your worship marked by integrity and honesty before God? In Psalm 51, verses 10 to 12, we come to the very heart of this psalm. As we hear firsthand how the cry of David was not for forgiveness alone, but for complete renewal from within. This trio of verses are a prayer of complete dependence. And this section is built upon six verbs. Six verbs, each pleading with God to do a deep, redemptive, restorative work in David's life. We will organize our thoughts around those verbs, and I pray by God's grace, learn to pray with the psalmist that God would do a renewing work in each of us this morning. Would you stand with me if you're able to as we hear now Scripture read? Psalm 51, verses 10 to 12. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, 
and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. The first prayer is, God, create in me a clean heart. We find this in verse 10. Over the last two weeks, we've seen how David, the man after God's own heart, Scripture describes him, was also a man who sinned in his own heart. David has admitted in the song that he is born a sinner from the start and is a sinner to the heart. He sounds like the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7 to me. Even after believing in God as his salvation, his inward being still did not always delight in God. He didn't always walk in wisdom. And so David holds his gaze on the thing he needs most, transformation of heart. As we greet verse 10, David understands that repentance would not simply go down to the surface of his life and change his exterior, but rather it would sink down into the fiber of his being, and it included complete inward renovation. The verb David uses when he asks God to create in him a clean heart is the same Hebrew word used in Genesis 1 to describe how God created the heavens and the earth out of nothing. As a matter of fact, every time this word is used in Scripture, God is noted as the one that is performing the action. It's always speaking of something only God can do. And God alone can create in David what he needs. So he calls upon the same voice that spoke all of creation into being. And for that voice to breathe into his inner being and create a new heart. Not one barely better. Not one slightly stronger. But a brand new, clean heart fashioned by God himself. Derek Kidner commented, David asks for nothing less than a miracle. And so he calls upon the God of miracles. The second request is God renew a right spirit within me. The two parts of verse 10 taken together asked first that God would create something that's not there and then to renew something that is. The word renew carries with it beautiful themes like refreshment and restoration. It's used in the Old Testament to describe the restoration of buildings, like when the temple of the Lord was restored in 2 Chronicles chapter 24. But it's often used to describe the work that God alone can do in the lives of his people. We hear that regularly through the prophets. God can renew them. God can restore the buildings of their lives. When as they look around, there seems to be only wreckage. And David asked God to bring renewal to his spirit, restoration of his soul. And of course, we know because of the story behind the song, 
why this spiritual renewal is so desperately needed. David's sin had torn down his life to the studs. There was something wrong with his spirit that led him to bring so much ruin to his life, and that problem was his sin. Perhaps it was the comfort that surrounded him that over time numbed him to the reality of how his heart had drifted from the Lord. Maybe he was so concerned with preserving his assets and all of his possessions that he just neglected to care for his soul. Obviously, his desires had shifted at some point from wanting to please the Lord to now wanting to please his flesh. And through the first 10 verses of Psalm 51, we've witnessed him repent of sin and then ask for forgiveness. And now he calls upon God to transform and renew him from within. Only God can create a new heart. Only God can renew our spirit. And I'm sure there's more than a few of us who need to ask God this morning for transformation, for renewal in our hearts. We know the external sins that we return to, but if we follow those upstream, we'll find that our actions flow from a heart that doesn't always beat to know and honor God. What we need is for our hearts to be made new by the power of the gospel. It struck me this week that our culture is always thirsting for something new, yet it has such a difficult time acknowledging its need for a new heart. But for us who to experience renewal from within, we must continue to listen to the diagnosis of Scripture. We don't need God to just help our hearts get better. We need Him to make our hearts new and clean. And so the next time you come before God in repentance, in confession of sin, ask for His complete and thorough renewal. Pray that that forgiveness would soak down into the soil of your heart and springs of new life would shoot forth because of having experienced the renewal that comes from God. Ask Him to repair not just the consequences of sin, but to repair the foundation of your life that is often shows the cracks that sin leaves behind. And ask Him to do all of this by His goodness and grace. The third prayer is, cast me not away from your presence. We transition to verse 11. And as we've journeyed through the Psalms, we know that the thing David values more than anything is the presence of the living God. More than wealth or possessions, more than power or fame, David treasures the presence of God. In Psalm 1611, David sang of the benefits of being in God's presence like this. He said, in your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 27.4 continues that thread. He writes, one thing I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord 
and to inquire in his temple. We looked two weeks ago at how important the instinct is when we sin, not to run from God, but to run to him. We have in the example of Adam and Eve, when they sinned, they ran from God, tried to cover their sin with fig leaves. But when David sinned, his sin was exposed, he ran to his maker. He pours out his soul. So we must not overlook the reality that even after David had sinned so terribly, at this point in the song, he still senses the presence of God. Well, how do we know that? Look closely. He's asking the Lord not to be cast away from his presence, not to be put outside of the presence of God. To pray that prayer, where must he be? In the presence of God. The next plea, verse 11, is take not your Holy Spirit from me. Now, this lyric has been the occasion of frequent battles throughout the ages. If David wrote this line today, and this song was sung in churches, he would no doubt get an email every week why he chose those words. Yet we know it was the Holy Spirit who inspired this lyric and who wants us to understand what it means. And so we must note two brief things. First, I want you to see that David writes as the king of Israel. It seems he has in mind the story of his predecessor, King Saul. David remembers well when the Holy Spirit was given to Saul, empowering him, anointing him as the king of Israel, And then when Saul had sinned so grievously before the Lord, God withdrew his spirit. And so here we have the current king of Israel, and he doesn't want his life to end in the same way. David's asking God not to do what he did to Saul, to remove his spirit, to end his reign as king, to banish him from his presence. Second, And here's the real heart of the matter. This is how you and I could still sing these lyrics with, with honesty. He's writing with honest emotion. He's writing with a sense of anxiety over his sin. John Calvin explains this very helpfully. He says, It is natural that the saints, when they have fallen into sin and done what they could to dispel the grace of God, should feel an anxiety at this point. But it is their duty to hold fast to the truth that grace can never perish in any heart where it has been deposited. Grace can never perish in any heart where it has been deposited. What David's saying is, if it were justice alone, and that was the ground that I was standing on before God, he knows he would be doomed as God distributed perfect justice. And so his appeal, as we've seen from the very first lyrics of this song, is that God would have mercy on him. That God wouldn't give him justice, but would shower him with mercy Now, this statement is not David's theological position paper on the security of the believer. 
It is not his answer to the question of the perseverance of the saints. That is a beautiful and true doctrine. It's just not what David's getting at here. What he's doing is using poetry, asking God to not do to him what should be done. He is a sinner, and because of that, he doesn't deserve the presence of God. He hasn't earned the right to feel the fellowship of the Spirit. Yet, he asks that God would be merciful to him and to give him mercy instead of what he deserves. You know, this is what sin always does. It separates us from the presence of God. So let me say in this moment to any of you, my friends who have not trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, the biggest problem in your life is not your marriage, it's not your finances, it's not your career, it's not your health. The biggest problem in your life is your sin. Because your sin is what separates you from a holy God. In this life, and in death, and in eternity to come. And the only way for that sin to be overcome is through the blood of Christ. You can't earn your way into God's approval. You can't do enough good things. You can't avoid doing enough wrong things. The only thing you can do is fall into the grace and mercy of Jesus. To repent of your sin and to trust in Christ who will bring full forgiveness and bring you into the presence of God. And now I'd like to speak to my fellow Christians for just a moment. There's a few of you who from time to time hear a nagging voice in the back of your thoughts that because of that sin that you committed in your past, you have no assurance of salvation. Or maybe you're afraid of committing a sin in the future that would surely be too much for the mercy of Christ. I want to remind you that none of us were worthy enough to enter the presence of God to begin with. And none of us earned the right to experience the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. None of us earned the right to have him take up residence in our hearts. It was all of grace. And sin can cause the Christian to lose our sense of the presence of God. It can dizzy us with its effects. But if we've been truly born again, there is nothing that can separate our union with Christ. Nothing at all. Paul gets at this in Romans 8 where he says, no, not height or depth or anything else in all creation, including your sin, can separate you from the love of God. The fifth prayer from this portion of Psalm 51 asks God to restore to me the joy of my salvation. Verse 12. David has shifted now from noting the consequences of sin to full restoration to complete joy. His joy had been hidden behind the clouds of his sin. Now he pleads for a ray of God's salvation to shine on him, to warm his soul, to restore the joy that his sin had taken away. 
It's no small thing to recognize the source of David's joy. It is not in his circumstance. It is in a person. It is in God himself and in the salvation he brings. He's sober-minded now. He looked for joy in all the wrong places and found nothing but sadness. Now he's of right mind. He can see the foolishness of his ways and the true and lasting joy that can only be found in God and the salvation that he brings. When it comes to true Christian joy, only God can give it and only God can restore it when it has been lost. The final plea David makes of God is uphold me with a willing spirit, verse 12. Here, David's awareness that he cannot hold himself up comes into full view. He will need God's grace to hold him. In his weakness, he will need the strength of God. In his lack, he will need the plenty of God. In his darkness, he will need the light of God. Here he stands, the king of all of Israel, God's elect people, humbling himself, disavowing himself of all self-sufficiency, of any trace of self-help, and he confesses his help is from the Lord. He prays with integrity. He prays with honesty before the Lord. And the phrase that I want to summarize verse 12 with is this. Joyful standing. Joyful standing. For all of those in Christ, after sin has been exposed and confessed, not one trace of it remains because of the blood of Christ. And so the only thing that's left for us is to come boldly before the throne of grace, knowing that we are welcomed, not on our own merit, but on the merits of Christ. We have a joyful standing before him. This is the proper response of the Christian then, is not just to walk around with our heads hung for weeks to come. No, why? Because the gospel lifts our countenance. We don't have to run and hide in shame. Should we hide? Dare we run away from the God whose heart runs with mercy to us? No, instead the smile of God has been fixed on us because of the completed work of Christ. One of my favorite things to do uh, in the acts of leading worship as a pastor is, is, yes, from time to time getting to lead the confession of sin, but what I really love is the assurance of pardon. This glorious moment where after we have honestly, humbly come before the holiness of God, confessed our sins, repented, and looked to Christ, then to be able to deliver the joyful announcement that, Christian, your sins have been paid in full by what Christ has done. I love getting to do that. I love being reminded of that. And so, brothers and sisters, as we prepare even now our hearts to share the Lord's Supper in just a few moments, I want you to walk with me again through these three verses, through David's prayer, and hear for yourself how God loves to answer prayers like this. God delights to answer prayers like this. God is glorified in answering prayers like this. And so as you consider your own sin, I want you to consider the assurance of pardon 
that rings from God's word to our hearts this morning. The first prayer, God create in me a clean heart. The Lord says in Ezekiel 36, 25 and 26, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And we pray, Lord, renew a right spirit within me. The Lord continues in the next verse from Ezekiel 36. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Cast me not away from your presence, we pray. And Jesus promises his presence to his people everywhere. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, I am with you even to the end of the age. Take not your Holy Spirit from me, we pray. God's word says in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, we pray. And the Lord Jesus says in John 15, 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. God, I can't do this on my own. Uphold me by your spirit, we pray. And scripture says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10, after you have suffered a little while, the God of grace, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So, dear fellow sinner, be reminded this morning These prayers are here to teach us to pray. And God delights in hearing these prayers and in answering these prayers. It's God alone who can give us clean hearts, renewed spirits, placing us in his presence, filling us with his spirit so that our lives would overflow with the joy of Jesus. And with every step, it is him alone who upholds us. So Psalm 51 is teaching us to worship with serious integrity and humility and deep honesty. While it calls us to hold fast to the gospel of grace, to trust in every promise of God's word and to live in the joy that has been provided for us in and through Christ. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, we thank you for your word, how it searches us through And how it shines in our darkness, calling us out of ourselves and to live in the light of your grace. Let your word do its work in us. The word that has been deposited in us, let it bear much fruit. We pray to your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from The Trails Church. We hope you have been encouraged, equipped, and edified by time spent together in God's word. And again, if you'd like to find out more about The Trails Church, 
visit our website, thetrails.org.